get to know some of your stories. It's an awesome encouragement for me. Um, third session, third talk. Let's go back to Disneyland for a third time, okay? Disneyland Paris. Um, one of the things we did while we were at Disneyland Paris was we went to one of those 4D cinemas. Anyone been to one of those 4D cinemas? Terrifying. Dave, okay, great. Then I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain exactly what happens, so don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint the picture for you. Um, we went to one of these 4D cinemas, and we saw the film, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Yeah, Dave's already given me that, right? I'd never been to one of these 4D cinemas before, okay, so I had no idea, right, what to experience. But you know what? There was nervous little Scott, mum and dad to the rescue. I promise you it'll be fine. Got nothing to worry about, okay? You'll be absolutely fine. It was nearly pitch black in there, which wasn't a great start, okay? And when we sat down in these seats, okay, and uh, in the seats in front of us, there were like these, these metal grids, right? And I thought they were like surround sound or something. It was all very, very weird. And as the movie starts, right, you put on these 3D glasses like you do at the cinema. And this movie, okay, it makes you feel like you've shrunk along with the audience, right? That's, that's kind of the special effects, right? It's so immersive, it basically makes everything feel like it's real and that it's all happening around us, right? And so, instead of believing my parents that were like, don't worry, it'll all be fine, right? Because everything felt so real, what did I do, nine-year-old me? I started to panic, right? These really powerful fans got switched on in the movie and turns out that these grids in front of us were exactly that. They weren't speakers, they were like powerful fans in the back of the chairs and they like blow wind and air at you and you're like, whoa, right? And then there's this moment in the film where this gigantic slobbery dog sneezes, right? And then the audience gets like sprayed with water and mist. It's, it's a bit weird, okay? And then spoiler alert, the most terrifying part of the film is where a cage of rats gets knocked off a table and the rats come scuttling towards the screen. And then before you know it, you can feel all these things like scuttering around your feet, utterly horrible. And I'm like, ah! You know, I li literally lift my legs up to me. I literally remember this so well, right? And I'm like, right, that's it, I'm done. I'm, this, is, this, is, this is not going very well. And I take off these 3D glasses, and suddenly, right, I'm back in the room, and I breathe a little. You see, those moments, right, they felt so real and so immersive for me that I forgot everything that my parents promised me. How nothing would really hurt me, how it's all just special effects, it'll all be fine. But I completely forgot about that. Now, I was young at the time, okay, but I feel like life can sometimes be like this. Right? We're surrounded by lots of things, situations, people. Pressures, peer pressures maybe, you know, school, college, home, hobbies, whatever it is. We get so immersed in life, it all feels so real and consuming that sometimes we forget God's promises. Promises like he's there for us, always, by his spirit. That he never leaves us or forsakes us. That, that he promises to guide us. That he promises to provide for us if we trust in him. Speak to us through his word. Well, friends, tonight, okay, we're finally going to see this promise that we've been talking about fulfilled. This morning, we looked at uh, the promise carried. We saw, didn't we, that God made a promise, a covenant with Abraham. What were those three things? Land, nation, 
blessing. Turn to the person next to you and say, land, nation, blessing. In that accent, it's good. Yeah, good. Good accents going on down here, well done. Yeah, so that promise, okay, that promise was carried through generations from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Moses as he delivered God's people out of Egypt, right? The Israelites wandered in the wilderness, didn't they, for 40 years? We read that this morning. And then Joshua took over from Moses, inheriting this same promise 600 years beforehand. And Joshua would be the one to actually lead God's people into their promised land and fulfill this promise. And this is what we're going to get to tonight. And you know what, right? Throughout the Bible, throughout the whole narrative of, of Scripture, God has a history of using unpredictable people to achieve his goals and his promises, right? Joseph, in the Old Testament, he had 10 stronger, older siblings, and yet God rose him to be a prime minister. Right, this morning we read about Moses, didn't we, in Exodus chapter 3, who didn't feel worthy enough at all, but God chose him, God sent him. King David in the Old Testament, he was just a shepherd boy, right, who, who de defeated um, Goliath. He became Israel's greatest king, perhaps. God literally says that David was a man after his own heart. And in the New Testament, Jesus' disciples were all relatively young. They were fishermen. It's not exactly, you know, the most flattering of jobs, was it? But God uses anybody and everybody to accomplish his plans. And once more tonight, if you feel like you're here and you're thinking, God could never use me. Well, do you know what? I think scripture just disproves that straight away. Right, and we're going to read about this now as we see the promise fulfilled. So open your Bibles with me to Joshua. Okay, um, we're going to be, where are we going to be? We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. Okay, but let, let me just remind us of kind of what we read this morning from Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1, right, verses uh, 6 and 7. Verse 6, God reminds Joshua of the promise to inherit uh, their land, uh, of their ancestors. And in verse 7, it's a reminder for Joshua to obey God's laws, to keep the law on his lips so that God can speak to him and guide him. Why am I in the New Testament? That's not helpful. So, Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to read uh, verses 11 to 17 together. Before we then turn the page to chapter 6. Does someone feel brave enough tonight to read a little bit for us? Thank you. That would be wonderful. We're going to read Joshua chapter 3. Verses 11 to 17. That'd be wonderful. When you're ready. That's wonderful. Thank you. Brilliantly read. Yeah, that last verse. Getting over there. That's quite important. Okay, so what on earth are we reading, right? We're, we're reading, right, about this crazy miracle right, that allows, or, or where God kind of allows the Israelites to pass over the River Jordan, right, and into their promised land. So God says to Joshua, right, choose 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's a really significant number, okay? 12 tribes symbolize all of God's people in the Old Testament, and then that's fulfilled with Jesus' 12 disciples, which symbolize all of God's people in the New Testament, right? And God says, as soon as these guys set foot in the Jordan, 
the waters are going to stop flowing and a pathway will be made available to them to cross the water. Now, where have we heard this before? Moses. Right. Moses led God's people out of Egypt as they crossed the Red Sea, didn't they? Which God parted for them. And so here we have almost like a a mirror image, if you like, of God's provision. Right? He parted the waters to bring his people up out of slavery in Egypt. And now he parts the waters delivered to his people into their promised land. Remember what we read this morning, right? God hears our cry. He is concerned and he does something about it. He is the God of the impossible, the God of provision, the God of the promise. And speaking of the God of the promise, right? Flick over the page with me. And we're going to finally get to Joshua chapter 6, where Joshua leads God's people to victory and takes the land that God promises them all the way through their ancestors. And I think it's really important for us to go through this narrative. This is where we're going to base kind of the rest of our time tonight, in Joshua chapter 6. Now, there is no way, okay, that this battle was won by human effort. This whole thing just shouts God's promises, and that's why I want us to go through it all together. So I wonder, is there perhaps two people that are happy to read a chunk each, and we'll split it in half? We're going to read verses 1 to 20, okay? So is there two people, that, or maybe several people, who are just happy to read some, but maybe two? Yeah, girls, do you want to do that? Yeah, go on, Felix, two. Do you want to do, um, let's go like um, 1 to 7 down here, 8 to 14, Mia, 15 to the end of 20. Lena, is that okay? Wonderful. Let's do that. And, uh, and let's, let's be really respectful as these guys read this. So let's look down together. Joshua 6. Thanks, guys. Wonderful. Brilliantly read, guys. I never want us to shy away from reading big chunks of Scripture, right? We're God's people, and this is God's Word. That was wonderful. Right, in true sermon fashion, okay, we're going to split this in half and think about two things tonight, right? Firstly, we're going to think about the plan for victory, okay, in verses 1 to 7. And then we're going to think about the path to victory in verses 8 to 20. Turn to the person next to you and say, the plan for victory. Good, right. If you were in charge of an army, okay... And you had to take down a whole city, right? I imagine you sending your best and your greatest soldiers to the armory, getting armed up, yielding weapons, right? Building machinery, training in combat, maybe mentally preparing ourselves for battle. But that couldn't be more different from what we see Joshua and the Israelites doing here, right? Verse 1, we read that the city is in complete lockdown, okay? Jericho, this city, had heard about the Israelites, right? They would have no doubt have heard about the crossing of the Red Sea out of Egypt, and they would have no doubt have heard about the crossing of the Jordan into Canaan, right? Jericho, this city, knew that Israel, God's people, had the might and power of God on their side, right? And in verse 2, we read this promise of God, right? Look back down. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Sorry, what? So before God even outlines his plan and his strategy to Joshua, he has graciously assured him of that promised victory. How good is that, right? To know that even before he's gone for his plan of action, 
He knows that he has God's promise and victory on his side, right? But notice this assurance from God. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. You see, this is to be completely God's work. This is God's promise, God's plan, God's power, God's might, God's victory, right? Victory is always by the Lord's hand and guidance, right? And therefore, it's irrelevant of the strength and ability of our human power, right? This was not going to be Joshua's victory. This was going to be God's victory because God's promises don't rely on us. They rely on him, right? And in verses 3 to 5, God kind of strategically lays out the plan that Joshua is to follow, right? God is like the chief commander, okay? He's the one calling the shots. Now, this battle plan, right? It's highly unusual to say the least, right? The ordinary methods of, of, of warfare like battering rams, scaling ladders, towers, kind of think Lord of the Rings-esque. There's the one reference I told you about, right? They're not to be used here at all, right? Rather, Joshua and the Israelites are to march silently around the city for how many days? Yeah, okay, so that was a trick question. Seven days. Six days, let's get there. And then on the seventh day, they're to march around the city how many times? Seven, right. The priests were to blow their trumpets and to make an absolute racket only when Joshua said so, right? You okay? We all good? Excellent. So this, this battle plan, okay, was by no means the best attack or defense strategy, this victory was dependent on one thing only. God coming true to his promises. Right? There was no way, humanly speaking, that this was going to work. This is a fortified city with gigantic walls, right? Joshua had no choice but to trust that God would come through on his promise. Now notice, right? The number seven features very prominently. In fact, in this chapter alone, it appears 11 times, right? Seven priests with seven trumpets were to march around the city seven days with seven trips on the seventh day. I won't get you to say that to the person next to you. Right, the number seven is really significant in scripture, isn't it, right? It signifies the number of perfection, the number of completion, right? God created the, the, the entire cosmos in seven days, right? It shows that this was God's perfect plan. It was completely in his hands. God's promise was the only thing at play here for Joshua. Do you know, in the, in the New Testament, right, the, the Apostle Paul, he talks about our battles in life. And he talks about how our greatest battle in life, it's not actually a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And that means that our battles in life aren't fought with arguments and punches and being the better person. But they're fought on our knees in prayer with faith and abiding in the promises of God. Guys, that is so countercultural. We all have our Jerichos in our life. You know, those high walls that we just can't seem to overcome. The battles, the peer pressures. Might be physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual. Do you know what? Regardless of the nature of, of our Jericho, of these battles in our life, we've got to realize, friends, that victory comes through God's plan of deliverance, never ours. 
It's always about God remaining true to his promises. It's never about us trying to prove ourselves to God. We can't prove ourselves to God. That's what Jesus did. And that leads on to the second thing tonight, right? Firstly, you've got the plan for victory in verses 1 to 7. And in verses 8 to 20, right, we've got the path to victory. Turn to the person next to you and say, the path to victory. I like the intonation in the voice. So Joshua, okay, goes back to his army, the people of Israel. They follow God's battle plan, right? They obey God's word, just like we heard in, in Joshua chapter 1. And then verse 16, shout! Thank you, Joshua commands, for the Lord has given you this city, right? And then verse 20, look down, right? When the trumpet sounded, the walls collapsed, they take the city, and Joshua led God's people, Joshua led God's people, sorry, to victory, right? God's plan, God's work, God's victory because of God's promise. Let's just pause and think about where we've come from. Remember God's promise to Abraham? What were the three things? God's people would enter their promised land, their perfect land of rest. That promise was carried through generations and finally fulfilled here under the leadership of Joshua 600 years later. What am I going to say? God is faithful to his promises. That's the, if you take away one thing this weekend, please let it be that. God is faithful to his promises. But let me tell you how I know that to be true. Because this is the big thing about Joshua's story. I don't actually believe it's about Joshua at all. See, Joshua led God's people into their promised land as he took on Jericho. But Jesus leads us into our promised land as he took on sin and death. Let me say that again. Joshua led God's people into their promised land as he took on Jericho. But Jesus leads us into our promised land as he takes on sin and death. You see, do you know what our biggest Jericho is? Our biggest battle in life? The biggest wall, the biggest barrier in our life? The Bible says it's our sin. It's our rebellion from God. Sin is like the things we do our own way in life as opposed to going God's way. Saying, I don't need God. I know how to do this. And do you know what? Actually, when we say, I'm going to go my own way and I don't need God, what we do is we actually put ourselves above God. And that's a big deal. And that sin, that rebellion, it puts a barrier between us and God. Because you see, God is perfect. God is holy and majestic and almighty and perfect and faithful. And we humans, we're anything but perfect. I hate to tell you, because of our sinful nature, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But what do we read in Exodus with Moses? God hears the cry of his people, he's concerned, and he does something about it. For Moses and Israel, that was delivering them from slavery in Egypt through Moses. For Joshua and Israel, that was delivering them into the promised land through Joshua. And friends, for us here, right now, that's delivering us from sin and death and entering us into our promised land through Jesus. Through Jesus alone from his work on the cross. Do you know, 
the name Jesus, I was chatting to Helen about this earlier, you know, the name Jesus, right, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament kind of language is mainly Hebrew. The kind of the names for Jesus and Joshua, it literally comes from the same word, right? It literally is like the same name. And the, and, and the name Jesus also means he saves, right? God used Joshua to save his people to bring them into their perfect land. And God used Jesus, the same name, to save his people now, you and me, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have eternal life, so that we might enter our perfect promised land in heaven, in the new creation. Right? Joshua is just a foreshadower of Jesus. As we come into land, right? I asked you at the start, what was the first thing that came to your head when I said victory? Remember God's battle plan, right, full of weapons and tactics? wasn't like that at all, was it? It was completely humble, dependent on him and his promises. And that was a relatively small victory compared to something like saving the entire planet from death, which is what Jesus did on the cross. But was Jesus' plan full of weapons and tactics and might and strength? No. Jesus humbled himself to become the sacrificial lamb on the cross, the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled and embodied the Old Testament promise that a sacrifice would make people right with God. Jesus makes us right with God through his work on the cross alone. And tomorrow morning, we're going to go to town on that. And we're going to think about the work that Jesus has done for us and how this promise is extended even to us today. But as we finish tonight, right, we've thought about the promise carried through generations. Now the promise fulfilled in Joshua, but ultimately in Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter how unfaithful we are, God is always faithful to his promises because God's promise don't rely on our faithfulness to him they rely on his faithfulness to us. Guys, this is where I want to land tonight. Why are you not turning off? It's gone well. I want us to get a bit real and a bit vulnerable tonight. As, you know, over several weeks that I've been thinking through this stuff and I've been praying for you, um, Dave, Dave gave me a list of names. It's nice to put names to faces, but I've been praying for you all. And... Just on the back of this message, I just believe that God maybe wants to do business with some of us here tonight. And I think it's around this idea of our battles, the things we face in our life. They might be physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. Don't know. They might be about identity. They might be about addiction. They might be about temptation. I, I don't know. But do you know what? We don't need to know. You know and God knows. And I believe that through the work that Jesus has done for on the cross, he wants to shower us with his promises tonight. Promises of freedom. Promises of forgiveness. Promises of a warm fatherly embrace when maybe we feel shame. So what I want us to do, if you feel bold with me, I want us to stand together. The band are going to come up. And we're just going to take a bit of time.